Good, Rich Church. <laughs> okay, all right, it's on, it's on, okay. Uh, I see, I see, I see. Worship leaders, got to love them, all right, all right. Hey, my name is Bobby, and I am not a Missouri Tiger fan. Um, in fact, uh, I do not like them, so, uh, or their fans. So anyway, um, it's so glad, I'm, I'm so glad to, uh, to be back with you guys after uh, being at uh, City Lights last week, uh, preaching for Peyton, uh, who was actually here with you guys last week, and uh, had a chance to just listen to his message uh, earlier this week, and he just did an amazing job, and I hope you guys were blessed by that as much as I was. I know that it spoke to me, and so uh, just so glad that uh, we uh, have a partnership with a church like City Lights that we can uh, do what we did last week where I can go there and preach, and he can come here and preach, and it's normal, like it's, it's supposed to happen that way, and so it wasn't a big deal uh, for that to happen, and uh, you know, five, six, seven years ago, or maybe even now in, in some churches, as I've come to find out, is uh, that's not okay. Like, you just don't do that. You don't, you don't trade like that. And so, uh, but we do, uh, because it's not about the name on the sign out front. It's about the kingdom of God, and that's all that matters. And so, uh, we're so glad to be partners with uh, City Lights, and I just love seeing what they're doing up there, and how God is, is using them as they meet at Anderson County High School and uh, what God is doing through them uh, in the city of Clinton. And so uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, when I was last with you guys, we talked uh, about forgiveness, and, and we really started to uh, unpack what biblical forgiveness is. And I told you that uh, as we uh, move through that, as we get an understanding of what biblical forgiveness is, then we'll move into exactly how we practically begin to uh, live that out. And so we talked about this definition of forgiveness, uh, of biblical forgiveness. And so we, we said this basically is that the Bible refers to Jesus as the as the gift of God to us and he brings with him a bonus gift. He brings with him a bonus gift. And not only do we have the gift of Jesus himself, the incarnation that, that Christ is with us, but he brings with him a gift also and that gift is forgiveness. And then secondly we said if you are a believer, if you are a believer, you are completely forgiven because of what Christ did for us on the cross through the gospel that his death his burial his resurrection that gives us salvation and gives us forgiveness of our sins pays the debt of our sin we are completely forgiven and so because we are completely forgiven we are to forgive others completely completely and then third, we said that we saw, uh, we looked at this biblical def definition of forgiveness, and, and ultimately, uh, what you and I understand as forgiveness, we typically end up falling radically short of here, earthly-wise. We don't exactly exact forgiveness out uh, earthly as what the Bible uh, gives us as our definition of forgiveness. And so, a couple of characteristics of biblical forgiveness, just uh, backtracking a little bit and, and retracing where we've been so we can get caught up to, to where we're going today. Biblical forgiveness uh, does not return evil for evil, but instead blesses. That's what 1 Peter 3, 8 says. It says that we do not return evil for evil, but instead we bless. It says, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. Now, remember, we said to bless, not bless out, okay? So like when somebody hurts you, you're to bless them, not bless them out, okay? And so he goes on and says, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing, and so it's very important to understand that what Peter writes there, he says, you were called to this. 
This is not a suggestion. It is something that is actually uh, that we are called to. And so biblical forgiveness does not return evil for evil. It blesses instead. And then uh, biblical forgiveness forgives completely. We already talked about that. It's, it's real simple, actually. God does not forgive us partly, does he? When he uh, saves you, he doesn't partly save you. He doesn't, only, he doesn't save just parts of you. He doesn't save uh, bits and pieces of your life. He saves you. He saves all of you completely. You, we are completely saved, not partly saved. Jesus did not die a, a, a half death on a cross. He died a full death on a cross, and therefore we are to forgive others the same way. And so here's, here's the bottom line about that. And this is, this is something that, that hit me really hard uh, earlier this week, is that you and I, when, when it comes to forgiving other people, we cannot continue to crucify people. This goes back to biblically forgiving people in the sense that, that, uh, that we cannot repay evil for evil, but also for completely forgiving others, is that we, cannot, we can't uh, continue to, to crucify people when someone has already been crucified for them. You hear me when I say that? Like, and, so, and so when someone hurts us, when someone wounds us, when we are to forgive someone, our natural reaction is to, to crucify them ourselves, to get them back, to, to poke back at them, to wound them deeply because we've been wounded deeply when the Bible paints a much different picture of that and says that we must forgive completely. And then finally, biblical forgiveness says that, that we forgive repeatedly, repeatedly. If you have a Bible, open it up to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, we'll, uh, we'll refer to this a little bit, but we're also going to uh, skip around uh, quite a bit as well uh, through Scripture. In Matthew chapter 18, uh, Peter uh, asked Jesus a very important question about forgiveness. And so in Matthew 18, starting in verse 21, we'll pick it up right there. It says this, it says, Then Peter came up and said to him, talking to Jesus, he said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? He's asking a very simple question. He says, how many times do I have to forgive someone when they sin against me? As many as seven times. Now, this is really important. When he says as many as seven times, you have to understand that in that culture, to forgive someone three times was generous. And so the rabbis would teach that you are to forgive someone up to three times. So when someone sins against you, you uh, forgive them three times. If they sin against you again, you forgive them a second time. If they sin against you again, you forgive them a third time. Outside of that, they're done. That's it. They get no more, right? And so Peter says, how many times do I, how many times do I forgive someone? Seven times. And so Peter, he thinks, hey, I'm being super generous here. We're only supposed to go three. I'm going to add four more to that. We're going to go seven. Look at how generous I am in my forgiveness. Well, listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says this. He says, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Now, if you do your math, that's 490 times, right? And so we think, so I'm supposed to forgive someone 490 times. No, you're missing the point. What Jesus is basically saying, he's saying, you forgive as many times as it takes, repeatedly. You exhaust it over and over and over and over again. Seventy times seven. And so we're going to read on here. I want you to see how this parable that Jesus tells here. He says this in verse 23. He says, therefore, 
The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with the servants. And so now Jesus is telling a story. It's a, it's a made-up story. It's a parable. And so this is not something that actually took place, but Jesus is using this to, to paint a visible picture for those who are listening, particularly his disciples right here. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, 10,000 talents is equal to what today would be about $6 billion with a B. Billion, okay? So if we were to add that out today, $6 billion. And so this guy owes him $6 billion. Now, when it says servants also, you need to understand this. This isn't a servant as in a servant that is owned by the king. This is probably more like someone who is an official of the king who works for him. So you have a boss and an employee, okay? And the employee owes the boss $6 billion. He's in a little bit of debt, don't you think? Yeah. And so... He goes on, he says, and since he could not pay his master, ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. Now, understand this. If he would have sold this guy, okay, into slavery, if his punishment being you cannot pay the debt, you cannot pay this, so we're selling you into slavery, your, your, uh, your wife, your children, all that you have is being sold, it would not have covered the $6 billion or the 10,000 talents. It would have only covered a very small portion of this. So, 26. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, meaning that he begged him, have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master that the servant rele- uh, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. Now, we could stop right there, and that would be amazing enough, would it not? He just forget. You owe somebody $6 billion, and they say, you know what? I forgive you. You're wiped clean. Some of y'all got some credit card debt, and you're like, please, Lord Jesus, let's let, let that happen, right? And so it's like, hey, can I get a mortgage paid for here? Let's, let's, you know, let's see what, what we can do here. And so he wiped it absolutely clean, says, I forgive you. But when th- that same servant went out, he's forgiven, he goes out, he found one of his fellow servants, so now someone who works for him who owed him a hundred denarii. And so what that is, is about $2,000. Pocket change in comparison, right? And seizing him, he began to choke him. I'll read that sometimes and I just chuckle. I'm just like, he's choking this guy out. Okay, um, don't do that if you're a boss, okay? That, you get fired. All right, um, pay what you owe, is what he says. He says, so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. Have patience with me, and I will pay you. And so this is the exact same thing, is it not? This is the exact same thing that is taking place here. His servant now is doing the exact same thing that he had done with the king earlier. But listen to verse 30. It says, he refused and went and put him into prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what, he, what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. They went back to their boss and said, hey, check this out. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And so he says, listen, I forgave you a great debt, a debt that you could never repay, an insurmountable amount of money I forgave you of, and yet you could not go and do the same for a very small amount. 
Then his master summoned him and said, You wicked servant, I forgive you all the debt that pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until they should pay all his debt. So also, listen to what Jesus says here, very important. Verse 35, he says, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And that's pretty harsh, right? Jesus just said, hey, listen, this, this, y- you will get the same fate if you do not also forgive. And so, listen, change is always, you hear me say this over and over and over. You're probably tired of hearing, hearing me say it, but until we all get it right, then we're just going to keep saying it, right? Change is a heart issue. Change is a heart issue. It is not a uh, simple uh, behavioral issue. And so for real change to take place, the heart must be changed. For real change to take place, the heart must be changed. And so with anything in life, whether it be uh, an addiction, whether it be uh, a sin habit, whether it be any of these things, in order for those things to actually change, the heart must change first. You can change the behavior, but unless the heart changes, you will always revert back to bad behaviors. And so change is always a heart issue. And so uh, we had a couple of questions in our life group come up uh, concerning uh, when we sort of talk through this uh, definition of biblical forgiveness. And it was, it was kind of like this. It was like, hey, I, I hear what you're saying, but, but how do we do this? Like, I get it. Okay, so I'm supposed to forgive others, but, but how do we do this? Because I'm not sure that, that I actually have the ability to be able to, to do this. And so this week we want to look at how and where the ability to forgive com- uh, comes from. And so real quick, three things that must happen in our hearts to be able to forgive biblically to forgive others biblically number one if you're taking notes you can write this down we must understand it's not a choice we must understand it's not a choice it's a command and so here's the deal if you're a believer you're saved you're a christian you're a follower of christ you must understand this if you don't get this you won't get anything else this has to happen first. You must understand that forgiveness is a command. It is not an option and it is not a suggestion. If you are not a believer, you're not a Christian, you're not saved, you're not a follower of Christ, listen, here, I'm, I'm letting you off the hook right here, right now. This is not a command for you. It's not a command for you to forgive others. Is it good? Sure, you could do it. I would suggest that it would be great. It would be wonderful for your life. But I'm just, I'm just letting you know, right? if you're not a believer, you're off the hook. It is not a command for you to forgive others. And so, first, number, number one, believers, listen, we, we have to stop trying to, act, uh, stop trying to make unbelievers act like believers when they're not believers. And so for us to, to get mad and angry at someone, go, hey, the Bible says that you need to forgive me. And they're not a Christian. It's not a command on them. But it is a command on you. And it's a command on me. It is a command for us as believers to forgive. And so forgiveness is not a choice, but rather a matter of biblical obedience. Uh, check this out, Colossians uh, chapter 3. Let me... Uh, Get there real quick. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 and 13, it says this. It says, put on then as God's 
chosen ones, that means you are, as a believer, that you are God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. You remember the whole thing about patience in that story that Jesus told? Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also might want to think about forgiving. No, that's not what it says, is it? No. It says, so also you must forgive. Must forgive. And so this is not saying that if a person has suffered enough, then we'll forgive them. Oh, it looks like they've had enough. I, I think we can forgive them now. No. Doesn't mean that you've punished them enough. That if they've worked through a checklist long enough, if they've gone through your checklist of he needs to do this and she needs to do this, and then when they do this and this and this and this, well, then we'll talk about forgiveness. Maybe. It says that we must forgive as believers. And, and here, here's the thing. Listen, it doesn't say anything about it being easy. I, I think sometimes, uh, maybe, maybe it's just me because I'm a pastor and I just have a chip on my shoulder sometimes, but sometimes I think that I'm you know, reading the word of God to all of us and, and then sometimes you all, not just you in general, but just people in general listening to pastors preach and all that stuff, you just kind of sit there and you're like, it's easy for you to say you're a preacher. Listen, I'm telling you, it's not easy. It's not going to be easy. It's not easy to forgive someone who, who wounds you deeply, who hurts you deeply. If you've listened to me long enough, then really longer than a week, you know how I feel about the lie that being a Christian is easy. It's not easy. It's hard. It's difficult. It's sleepless sometimes. It's It's tiring. But it's better. And so it says, in the way that the Lord has forgiven us, we also must forgive. And so one of the defining marks of a Christian is a person that forgives. And so if we refuse to forgive people, there's only one of two things that can really be true of us. Number one is that we don't understand the depth by which we've been forgiven. The unmerciful servant in the parable that we read uh, that Jesus told he didn't get it. He didn't get how much he had been forgiven. That you know, $6 billion he is forgiven of and let go of and, and, and removed from. He didn't get the depth by which he had been forgiven. And so, think about the debt by which you have been forgiven, if you're a believer. Ephesians 1, Paul writes this in verse 5. I love this. He says, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Let me read that again. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him, meaning Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us, meaning that he poured out on. That word lavish means that it is absolutely unfair 
unfathomable how much he lavished you, how much he has loved you, how much grace he has poured out on you. You and I cannot imagine how much grace he has poured out on us. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And so before God saved you, listen, he knew how much you would struggle. He knew how hard it would be. He knew that you would fall. He knew that the, the mess you would make. He, he knew how you would me- mess up. And so get, I don't think we get this. Before he saved you, he knew these things. He, he knew these things about you and I. And so maybe you struggle with understanding the depth by which he's forgiven you because you somehow think that your sin has more power than the cross. And here's the truth. God paid in full the debt of your sin. He lavishly paid for your sin, an insurmountable debt that could never be repaid. Over the top, crazy, lavishly. And so God paid for your past sins, your present sin, and your future sin. You get that? He paid for your past sin, your present sin, and your future sin, sins that you've not even committed yet, and yet he's not once said, listen, he has not once said, you know what? I regret saving that fool. Look at how much they mess up. Like, seriously? Come on. When are you ever going to get it right? When are you ever going to get things together? When are you ever going to put your life down? Like, like when is this ever going to, to come together for you? He has not once ever said, I regret saving her. I regret saving him. This one's messed up way too much. Man, I should have left that one off to the side. You ever regret picking up a stray dog or cat? You ever do that? Anybody? Anybody? Like, you regret doing that, don't you? Like, that, that happens. This does not. Jesus does not look down and say, man, I, I regret saving them. And so the hard truth is, is if, if we don't get that and that does nothing for us, then here, listen, here, this is hard. This is hard. Understand this. It's going to be hard to swallow. If we don't get that, we're probably not saved. We don't give forgiveness. We likely don't have forgiveness. We don't give forgiveness. We likely don't have forgiveness because we don't understand the fact that we've been forgiven ourselves. And then secondly, if you do know this and you get this, yet you refuse to forgive others, then you are in direct disobedience to the Scriptures. You're in direct disobedience to God. If you purposely withhold forgiveness, it's a matter of obedience. And so the first thing that we must understand is that it's not a choice, it's a command. Second thing, we must trust in the sovereignty of God. We must trust in the sovereignty of God. Now that word sovereignty is kind of complicated. It's a big, hairy church word. But this means that all things, listen, hear me, all things, that word all in the Greek and the Hebrew, it means everything. Okay, All things, it means all things things are under God's rule and control and that nothing happens without his direction or permission. That's what sovereignty means. The sovereignty of God means that all things are under his control and rule. So in other words, if we trust that God is sovereign, 
and he is, then we will believe that if we forgive someone, well, hear, hear me, that if you forgive someone, if you're worried, you're like, well, yeah, but if I forgive them, what's going to happen? Like, how are they going to treat me? Like, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen if I, if I forgive this person? If we believe in God's sovereignty, when we forgive someone, then we have to also believe it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. You don't have to worry about it. It's going to be all right. Paul writes in Romans 8, 28, he says, And we know that for those who love God, all things, there's that word all again, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That means even when you forgive someone and you trust in the sovereignty of God, that all things are going to work together for your good. If we don't believe that, we'll never be able to forgive. We'll, we'll never be able to go from victim to victory if we don't believe in the sovereignty of God. Regardless of your situation, to believe God's sovereign is to believe like Joseph believed in Genesis, right? Joseph, uh, you guys probably know Joseph and the, you know, Technicolor Dreamcoat, that whole thing, right? You know, okay, so like Joseph, you know, he, he, he kind of he gets a bad deal, like his brothers, you know, just do some really bad things to him, you know, and they toss him out, and well, Joseph becomes king, and then his brothers find out that he's king, and they, they come back to him, right? And so uh, Genesis fifty twenty says this, uh, it says, as for you, you meant evil against me. This is Joseph talking to his brothers who did some evil things to him. He says, but God meant it for good. Did you did some evil things to me. Does that sound familiar to some of our lives? Like somebody did something evil to you, something, somebody did something bad to you, somebody wounded you, and they meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. What someone meant for evil, God can turn to good. There's never been anyone to walk this earth to get that like Jesus did. Betrayed by his friends, put on trial for crimes he did not commit, sent to be crucified by the very people he served and loved, and ultimately murdered to pay for my sin. If anyone was ever wronged, it was Jesus. Amen? But in light of all of this, and trusting in the sovereignty of his father, the same father that we trust in the sovereignty of, Jesus was able to look at the people who had crucified him and put him on a cross to murder him, and he looks down upon them and he says what? He says, forgive them. They didn't work through no checklist. They didn't work their way into his forgiveness. They didn't do anything to earn his grace. He freely forgave them. First Peter 2, how can we do this? First Peter 2 says this, 21 and 22, it says, For to this you have been called. There's that again, meaning called, meaning that's not an option. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. And so instead of returning evil for evil, he blessed, didn't he? And he says, hey, Follow his example. You want to know how you forgive? Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. And so as with all things, we learn by seeing the example of Christ, and we do, as Paul urged us to do, is to, to imitate him. 
and we let the vengeance that we want to exact upon others be given to the Lord, be given to the Lord. And so we can forgive because God is sovereign. We can forgive because God is sovereign. We can forgive because it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. You can let someone go because it's going to be okay. Now, here, side note. This came up in our group too, a question in our life group. Somebody asked, you know, if I, if I forgive this person, does this mean that I have to be friends with them? That's a good question, right? If I forgive this person, does it mean that I have to be friends with them? They're like, we got to sit down and have dinner. Do I got to let them watch my kids and, you know, all that stuff? And that's really kind of a, it's a good question, but if we think about it, you're like, okay, so I've been molested by this person. I, I was raped by this person. I was severely wounded by this person. I was abused by this person. And so we're asking the question, uh, you know, if someone has wounded us deeply, does that mean that I have to be friends with this person? And the answer is no. Absolutely not. Listen to Romans 12, 18 and 19, it actually goes with the whole thing. It says, if possible, Paul writes this, he says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Peaceably means to live peaceably with, not necessarily be friends with. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And so we can leave up, you know, the consequences of those who have hurt us to the Lord. To the Lord. But we just live peaceably with them. So, for example, if someone is beating you, someone is molesting you, someone has, um, someone has just uh, abused you, I, I would suggest forgiving them but removing yourself from them. So your first call doesn't need to be to call them up at the end of the service and be like, hey, I forgive you. Your first call needs to be to the police. And then you can forgive them while they're in jail. And if you don't want to call the police, we have some men in our second service who are barely saved, okay? And you can call them, okay? Just saying. I think there's some in this service too, but we won't point them out. But, um, but seriously, we have some men in the second service. So, like, I mean, you can, you, you can forgive them still, but you can remove yourself from the situation. Forgiveness is still possible there. And at the end of the day, if you believe in God's sovereignty, you'll dis- dismiss the need to have to get someone back. John Piper wrote this. He said, The presence of hope in the invincible sovereignty of God drives out fear. Read that again. The presence of hope in the invincible sovereignty of God drives out fear. You don't have to be afraid of the consequences. You leave it up to the Lord. Number three, we we must believe the gospel. The defining motivation for our forgiveness must be the gospel. And so to to be biblical, God honoring forgiveness means that it cannot be for any other reason. Like the motivation for our forgiveness cannot be for any other reason. We don't forgive someone because we don't want to be bitter. It's good not to be bitter, but we don't want to simply forgive someone because we don't want to be bitter. We don't forgive someone because we don't want to look bad. We don't forgive someone because we simply want peace. We forgive because, listen, because we have been forgiven. And so let's be honest. Most of the people that are in need of our forgiveness 
those who have wounded you deeply, let's be honest, they probably don't deserve forgiveness, do they? I don't have to say it, but I'm going to say it. Neither do we. Neither do we. Cheaters, molesters, rapists, abusers, liars, thieves, murderers. Don't deserve forgiveness, but nor do we, yet we are forgiven. Romans 3, 23, 24 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means all of us. And are justified by his grace as a gift. If it ended there, it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The book closes. There is no gospel. There is no good news. There is no justification. There is no adoption as sons and daughters into the kingdom of God. There is none of that if the, if the chapter closes there. But he says, Are justified by his grace as a gift. You don't get gifts because you deserve them. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The servant did not deserve to have his debt forgiven, did he? Yet the king in his mercy and grace forgave, and then he expected him to do the same. As often as we have sinned against the Lord ourselves, he forgives, and he doesn't Listen, I love this. He doesn't just dodge our sins. He absorbs them. He doesn't just dodge our sins. He absorbs our sins on the cross, and he paid for them, covered them, and therefore he also absorbed the sins of those who have wronged you so that you can forgive them. And so as we close, let's, let's just get real for a moment as if we've not already. Like, can we get Peyton back? Um, listen, who do, you need for, who, who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to forgive? Who needs to get a gift this season? Better than anything that you could wrap and put under a tree here in, in a couple of weeks. Who needs to get a gift of forgiveness? Who do you need to forgive? Through him, when we trust, resolve to forgive, trust that, that he will all t- take all things together for your good, work them for your good because you love him and are obedient and you believe in the power, sa- uh, power of the saving gospel you can forgive others. You can forgive. Listen, I'm here to, just to encourage you. You can do this. If you're a believer, you can do this. You can forgive others, and you can leave it to the Lord, the consequences. Let's stand to our feet. Actually, no, I'm sorry, sit down. Don't stand. Just kidding. I want to show you a video real quick. Okay, I totally forgot about this. I'll show you this video, all right? And so watch this video, and then we're going to sing a song. And as we sing this song, I just want you guys to respond. I want you guys to take these next few minutes to just sit right where you're at. And even during the song, if you want to stand and worship, you're welcome to. You can sit right where you're at. I just want you to take a few moments and just ask yourself the question, who do I need to forgive? And pray about it. Pray about having the courage to do it. Don't pray about whether you need to do it or not. That's already been decided. 
Okay? You don't need to pray about that. You need to pray about the courage to be able to do it. So let me pray for you right now. Father, we just thank you so much, God, for your word, how you have uh, just cut deep to our hearts, God, and how you are springing forth fruit, God, leading us to forgiveness, God, because we are forgiven. So God, give us the courage. In your name we pray. Amen.